This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Amrita Mathur, VP of Marketing at Superside, to learn how she drives predictable growth by distinguishing between short-term and long-term planning. You'll learn how she plans to hit annual pipeline goals, why she prefers doing her marketing plan in six-month increments, how she invests in long-term growth by testing big bets or moonshots that may take a long time to pay off, and a ton more. If you're involved with any marketing planning at your company, you're going to love this episode. Amrita, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Super excited to chat with you. I was looking at uh, Superside's website. It looks awesome. So um, yeah, looking forward to following you now moving forward on LinkedIn and chatting with you. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And I love the name of this show. I, I'm sure it's like a play on words. It's like Netflix and chill, but actually metrics and chill because marketers are nerdy. We're nerdy bunch. We're a nerdy <laughs> bunch these days. It's true. We are. And I have to say this, I think like it's the biggest compliment we get is like not the content, but the name of the show, which I always give, <laughs> always say like uh, John Benini, who run, you know is our director of marketing. He, the whole story is for anyone who's not heard it at this point, because I think like multiple guests have brought it up. He, I think he was writing he was riffing on some copy for like a blog post or a product page. And, and he wrote like the sentence, like, and that's all you have to do, like, boom, metrics and chill. And then he was like, that's too like good to just leave and like awesome. buried in a blog post. So it ended up becoming the name of the show way back when, and I just inherited it. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. I had a terrible idea to start a pod or maybe a, I don't know, video series on YouTube called demand gin and tonic. And then, (laughs) but, but, because I love gin and tonics and I, I, my background's demand gen. So I was like, oh, I can combine these two things. But then someone was like, you kind of don't want to, you want to make it timeless. You don't want to mix alcohol into this whole thing because it may not be like trendy, like five years down the line. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I've seen someone do, I forget, I forget her name. She does whiskey Wednesdays and I think they like talk marketing and stuff like that. So I, yeah, I think that kind of stuff is cool. Um, So yeah, I guess to kick things off, give us like the overview. What's like the 30 second pitch for Superside? What, what does the company do? And then what's kind of your role there as VP of marketing? Yeah, for sure. So we're just, uh, we're like a design subscription company um, that really just enables marketing and creative teams to unbottleneck design and just like move faster, um, drive more sort of reliable uh, creative output, but also creative performance. Like we know, like the game has changed, right? In marketing, especially the game has changed. And like almost everything we do out there from performance marketing to any kind of ABM campaign, the thing that helps you stand out, uh, which I know you talk a lot about on the show is really like creative. And I think it's, I think we've, we've, we have so much data from all these platforms now um, that actually allows us to like properly understand what what is going to work. So our whole shtick is we do creative at scale and we help you on bottleneck that whole process. And we, we're trying to do creative that really performs. And we've taken like our own kind of spin off it. So like typically how you do creative and would be like in-house teams. Maybe you have an agency or two if you're a big company. Sometimes you do a combination of the two. Um, sometimes you might use freelancers, you know, Bob down the street that you know. Uh, and our whole thing is, all of that requires a lot of overhead and management. Um, so our approach is we've built this amazing design ops platform. Everything goes to that platform. It's like really convenient, hassle-free. It's a fully managed service. Uh, it's very predictable because it's a subscription. You know exactly what you're going to pay and what mm-hmm. you're going to get out of um, out of that every month. Um, and as like we we shun sort of like the traditional agency retainer model where if you don't use it, you lose it. So like everything just kind of carries over because um, it's a subscription. So that's our take and approach. And we've we have like a number of impressive customers because there's absolutely, especially in the tech industry, there's there's companies and teams where like we don't want to get bogged down with any of that nonsense and that overhead. Right. And 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 there's there's something like beautiful about how Superside works. Um, so we're not for everyone, but you know, we, we know our audience, we know who, who cares about this stuff. No, I love it. Um, yeah. The, the longer I've been in marketing, the more I'm like, yeah, I, I just value smaller teams and then outsourcing those niche things to like really, really talented companies like Superside and being able to just run fast with it. Especially if like, if you can get budget for it, just go. And then you're not like tapping the in-house designer who's being shared by three other departments. It's like, it's so nice for all those reasons. So yeah, com- completely. 
Exactly. And and it's it's funny because most of our customers use us for one or two very clear and specific use cases. So like Shopify only uses us for ad creative, right? That's all that they spend $10 million a month on ad creative. They're not, they need like really fast turnaround. They need 57 versions of the same Facebook ad or what have you. And like them using their in-house creative team, exactly like you said, just wasn't making sense because they're, they have like a whole bunch of other stuff to figure out and the prioritization and those conversations are terrible. So they were like this tight, very well-defined use case, super side, right? Uh, everything else in-house team, maybe occasional projects will use it like an agency for like, you don't want to do a pop-up at Louis Vuitton, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Like you fit into their process for like churning out new ads, new creative, new tests and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm going to be, dis- I'll be disciplined to stick to the topic we talked about uh, when we, when we drive into predictable growth, but I, I like, I'm really, uh, I'm just like such a strong believer of the impact of like this unmeasurable impact that good creative and good design has on marketing that I think people try and measure as simple as like a B test, but it's bigger than that. It's almost cause it's almost like you'd have to like overhaul a brand and you know, completely and like run a incredible, um, you know, number of people to both to really like prove it with data. But it's just this thing that when there's a well-designed website, when it matches the copy in the right way, when it's differentiated through design, when like there's such a thing that design says so many things without using words, like it, like good design to me says that the product is going to be good. Like I expect the product to be good. I expect the team to be professional. It's amazing how much good design complements all these other aspects, but in this really sort of almost unmeasurable way, like, you know, and, and, um, Anyway, this is just like a, a topic I could nerd out on. So I'll be I'll be disciplined to go back to the original. But yeah, super into this. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I don't think the world has figured out all of the ways to measure this stuff beyond like a control group and, and a side test, which does it does it a disservice. But hey, listen, I will say like we rebranded a little bit last year, like just the just the visuals a little Um and it was driven by one very clear need, which was we needed a scalable system for illustrations. Our old brand was really great and we got a lot of compliments on it, but it just wasn't that scalable. So we said, hey, we're going to stick with like, we have like a bit of like a space theme because the whole point of Supersize is like this like magical out of this world place that you come to to get, you know, your shit done. Um, so we wanted to stick to that theme, but we changed the illustration style uh, and, and changed the color palette just a tad. And we were like, nervous because we were like wow we get compliments we have amazing performance from this our conversion on landing pages is through the roof we were like holy shit this could all plummet right but we still took that leap of faith and did it and really i can only measure the impact of that after almost a year and oh wow not, right like truly to measure the impact after a year and yeah i don't think marketing and creative teams have number one permission or mm-hmm. the patience to properly do that they and it and it saddens me that they don't really have the space and time or the, or the, you know, they don't have the keys to the castle to, to be able to do that. They have to get so much buy-in and all of this stuff and prove it out. And it's, it's tough. Yeah. 100%. I, I think about um, one of the ways I think about this and I promise this is the last thing I say about design, but um, one of the ways I think about it is like, I personally can't think of the last time I've purchased a software trialed something that didn't have good design. Like mm. if it ever comes down to like a Google search and I'm compiling like a short list of things, if I pull up five things and like, again, this is how my brain works. It doesn't mean it's how everybody, I know there are, I always get the sides mixed up, but whatever the, like the analytical non-artsy side is, there are people that probably like don't even notice. And mm-hmm. so I'm not saying it's like true for everybody, but if I pull up a short list of competitors and I'm looking at all of them, the one with kind of like the best design and layout that complements the messaging already like stands out in my mind or the top two or three. And I almost wouldn't even, it sounds crazy, but I almost wouldn't even consider one that had like, if one had bad design, I'd be like, if they can't even get this right, mm. it feels like their product isn't going to be any good. Like I just, mm. why would I want to use, like their dashboard's probably ugly and their software is, you know, probably cumbersome or hard to, like, it feels like it says a lot more than, than those things. And so there's like this implicit bias I have toward things that are just well-designed. And I think, I don't think I'm alone in that. I'm not saying it's like, again, maybe like I wouldn't cite it as like the ultimate differentiator, but, um, but anyway, so today, uh, we're not gonna be talking about design. We're going to be talking about 
um, driving predictable growth. And you said you think about it in, you break driving predictable growth year over year down into short term and long term. So I want to kind of like unpack uh, why you differentiate the two, how you think about the difference. And so I guess like, let's start at the highest level. Um, you know, we're, I guess it's not like we're not in the new year now, but when you are approaching a new year and you've got goals in front of you, how are you thinking about like, what do you consider short-term? Is that a, is that quarter by quarter? Is that week by week? And what do you consider long-term? And when you're beginning of the new year, how do you tease apart the differences of those two? Like what, what would that look like at the very highest level of planning out for the year? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think like short and medium term for me is like basically how we're going to achieve the results this year. Like what are like within the context of the year. And we, our planning is usually like, we kind of try to plan six months and then the next six months, not saying the next six months is going to be like completely starting from scratch, but we don't get down to like the deepest like tactics and whatnot for the, for the okay. latter half of the year. But we plan the first part of the year pretty well. Um, and generally like, listen, it all starts with like the machines that you've already built and how those machines are working. And it does, are those machines going to need a lot of work or are they in maintenance mode? So just as an example, I'll just illustrate what we did at SuperSide. We've got essentially three big machines that all interact with each other. We've got a crack uh, performance marketing team and we invest a lot in performance marketing so that we spend almost um, 200,000 a month on uh, paid social, paid search, and native advertising. And the bulk of that goes to paid social. And that's just been an amazing channel for us. Um, and then we've got a great content marketing machine built, which I will get into because it could be like, it could it could really traverse the entire funnel, but there's parts of it, of it that we've kind of chosen to focus on. And then we've built an amazing ABM machine, which uses both content and performance, of course, but it's its own distinct motion. And okay. all of these machines, I know that after four years of doing this at SuperSide, we know what we can get out of it. And we kind of can say with a high degree of certainty that if we, you know, change some of these levers or like do these experiments, the chance of success is whatever, 30%, 40%. And we can generally say like, hey, our hit rate's pretty good. You know, we're going to launch three more experiments. One of them's going to hit. This is what it's, it might probably yield us. So we kind of build that all in our modeling and our forecasting. Um, and just like any other B2B marketing leader, we 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 kind of do the full work back schedule, right? We, we'll say, hey, how many, how much pipeline do I need? At what rate do I actually need to win it? How does it differentiate by segment? Oh, you know, we win less enterprise deals, but it's a lot more money. Deal size is larger. We win more mid-market deals, but like, hey, the volume is crazy. So we know all of those parameters. How, how many demos booked do we need? What does that actually mean in terms of like top of what we can consider like a top of funnel? Um, like lead is a bad word, but you know, like some kind of mechanism to identify who's visiting sure. our site. Um, so we do that full work back schedule and that generally gives us a pretty good measure for like how to invest. And then we say, that's this year, guys. Obviously, in order for us to grow the following year, we can't just continue operating like this. Something's got to give. And it's not just like pump more money or do more content marketing. That's not going to necessarily like float our boat. So what are some of the longer term distinct bets that we want to take? that we are going to need to carve out time, space, budget, mental energy for. It might also mean hiring. So I'll give you an example of some of these things. So um, in early 2022, we said we're going to invest hugely in two. Like these are just two of, of many different bets, but two long-term bets we made was we're going to actually like really go ham on YouTube. That's going to be a channel that we need to crack from an organic perspective. Um, and that means a lot of video. So we need to beef up the video team. Um, and two is like, we're going to really invest in community building as a um, intentional thing. So we, we do a lot of brand and community building, but it's almost like a side effect of all of the other things that we were doing. And we said, no, we're actually going to build a customer community and then go like outwards into like a more like friendly and prospect community from there on. And we tried to define what the milestones would look like and what some of the leading indicators would look like. And we had no expectation of revenue. Like we told, like we didn't have a CFO then we, we do now, but we told the finance team, like this is going to be a sunk cost that we're not going to see results and impact from this year. So just don't even expect it. Like you're going to be like, oh my God, our payback period is ballooning. Yeah, it's going to balloon that because we're doing these like long-term things. Uh, it's not going to be like the eight or 10 months, which it is right now. 
Um, and that's how I think about future like yield, you know, so it's, it's like sowing a seed now and then the crop is going to, you know, yield grain, whatever, six to eight months from now or next season. It's sort of the same thing. And I, I think like, I think like the DNA of any business um, will dictate how much of that you can do, you know, so right now markets are hard, you know, I'm sure many companies have done layoffs. Many of your listeners, companies have probably done layoffs and, you know, everyone's budget is getting cut left, right and center. And it becomes really, really hard to kind of say, oh, wait a second, what am I actually going to cut revenue now or revenue in the future? And you just have to like be just so disciplined about knowing that, you know, regardless of your runway situation, if you just completely turn the tap off on future bets, like what's going to happen when it's December 2023? Like, what are you going to do when it's December 2023? Um, what story are you going to tell your CEO? This is, this is amazing. There's like five, I'm writing furiously here, taking notes. So there's so many things I want to like now follow up on. So, okay. Um, I guess I'll start with a few smaller questions. So the, um, what is it that made you like, I, it sounds like you're articulating this, like, oh, like, yeah, like, this is really obvious that if we don't start to make big bets for like one year plus out, but it's funny that I don't hear many marketers talking about that. I think a lot of the, like the, the thought process in planning is like, yeah, take pipeline, reverse engineer, like how many SQLs or whatever we need. Um, and what current levers are we doing? And maybe we'll add in one more to try and pull it, but it's all very like this year, like quarter by quarter or whatever. Um, what, what was like, I'm just curious, like what the realization or like the aha moment was for you that you're staggering it this way, where it sounds like what you've done is built, like, sounds like, um, I know Chris Walker calls this, like, uh, has a name for this, uh, demand creation or something. I think he said calls it that or like specifically like, I think it's like, uh, channel stacking, but basically Mm. like find two or three channels, like use methodical approaches to find two or three that are your consistence that go. So it sounds like the, the six month things are like, we know these are working. These have like, and I'm guessing you're taking that by a payback period. So like that your payback is good. You've gotten it to a good level on these channels, you know what you can get out of them. They're fairly fine tuned. And so those drive like your immediate. And then that way you don't have to tie these long-term bets to anything right now. You can kind of like send out uh sonar or whatever, and like see what signals come back to you and like what you might be able to expect later. But what in the first place, what made you realize like, yeah, I can't just keep putting more into the same thing. Like, why do you think that doesn't work? If listeners are just thinking like, well, I found my three channels that work. I have my ABM, my performance. Why don't we just increase budget and performance? Yeah, I think performance is, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty proven science now, like the size of your market and your match rate is just, it's not exponential, right? It's not like an endless cauldron that you can run through. Like there's only so many matches. So we know who we sell to, we know, um, like we sell roughly the marketing and creative teams. So we know all of the titles. We've got a bunch of tools that have allowed us to like do like amazing matching. And like, we can say for sure, in a very predictable way that people, like a hundred percent of the population that we've been able to identify on Facebook and Instagram has seen some version of an ad seven times or more. So I know that the, the saturation point is, being met, you know, of course we can expand geographies and things like that. And maybe that'll give us a little bit more, but for the way that we design, define our ICP, like we've already saturated that audience. So now my only bet in performance is not necessarily to spend more, but it's more like, what is the diversity of the creative and the diversity of the offers and the hooks that I put in front of these people to bring them in. But I've, I've they've, everyone's seen it, whether they have right. brand recall or not, they've seen it. They, they've supersized and been in front of them. So where else are you going to go? It's not like I can just dump two hundred more thousand dollars into Instagram and right. suddenly meet these people. That's just not going to scale. And it sounds like I've talked to to people that have run, you know, hundreds of thousands in in paid spend on this show, and they've said like there is that like drop off of diminishing returns where like you will hit a plateau with it at some point. So the um, yeah. So I mean this. So this makes a ton of sense. You you feel like you found the six months bets are the things where like the channels are two or three maybe four channels that are fine-tuned. 
like you said, e- even if you're going to do creative things, those are like micro experiments you would do within the six months, but they're still yeah. not going to be like any major unlock that's going to take yeah. the company to the next level. Yeah. It's not a uh, crazy moonshot of any kind. It's just like, you know, refine, tweak, keep optimizing, you know, try new offers. You know, for example, something we've done in the last six months is like on performance, we've reverted a lot of our budget to like more like top of funnel offers and trying to bring people in through that and then let letting email take over which is like a different way than we used to do it before, which is actually paying dividends now. Like after six months, we can actually see that that whole program's working. Um, so you can do stuff like that, but that's not a crazy better moonshot. Again, like we've already reached most of our audience. Maybe I can eke out a bit more conversion on the landing page. Maybe I can eke out more brand recall on the ad itself. And like, you know, they'll come through branded search because we've seen a spike in our branded search. So I know paid is probably playing a role there. Um, but what I, a great example of a moonshot is the the two, like I, I talked about YouTube earlier, like we started investing in YouTube, not even in a big way, like in a very chill way to talk about metrics and in a very chill way, we started investing in YouTube in the summer of last year. And we okay. just last week surpassed 1 million views total. Um, so it's taken us a solid like nine months to get to that place. We have a ton of amazing video content. We certainly wouldn't say we have a refined, amazing playbook, right? We don't have that just yet, but I now know that that bet paid off. I now know that there's convergence coming through from there. And I now know that it's affecting our branded search. That is an, enough permission and data to like help us invest even further. So now we're going to get super refined uh, with it and actually put more bodies on that. That's an example of a moonshot, right? Like I had to hire to like try to do that properly. And we had to make it someone's job to think about YouTube strategy. So one of our content, one of our head of content and our social media person, like basically took that job on to think about, okay, how are we going to crack YouTube? What are the experiments we're going to run? Why do you think about it in terms of uh, six months where like, I've heard so many people think about it in quarters. I like the idea of six months because what you're talking about is like, yeah, once you've got your channels that you're, I think for marketers that are a little bit more focused and are only running like a handful of things that they know are working, there's just not that much like new stuff to create every quarter. Um, is that it? Or like, why do you think about it in terms of six months versus like, I, you know, I just hear a lot of just curi- pure, pure curiosity. I hear a lot of marketing leaders say, you know, yeah, we take pipeline and then like, we'll break it down by quarter. And they're trying these different things quarter by quarter. Why is it that you think about it in like six months stints? Yeah. Uh, good question. I think it's just cause I know how long things take to stand up. You know, you, Again, just to use the YouTube example, like it takes time, like you've made the decision. It's like, okay, great guys, we're going to do this moonshot. Again, you have to figure out where to invest, who's going to do the work. There's like a process issue half the time, right? Like what's, you want to, what's the editing process? Who do we interview? Like whatever the strategy is, it takes time to stand stuff up. Let's assume with buffer that it takes like two, three months to get something going and really rev that engine in terms of just output, not even the outcome, but just the output piece. Right. Then you need to give it a little bit of time for it to work and to learn and tweak your, your go to market each time, you know? So like for YouTube, we were just like super focused on the top of the funnel. And then we were just like, no, actually we have so many customer questions and so many prospect questions. Let's focus on topic areas that our actual, you know, identified prospects can answer and that can became, become amazing fodder for YouTube. So you kind of pivot and change your strategy as you learn um, and see if that actually does any better. So all of that takes a minimum of six months. There's, there's yeah. if, you, if you're not prepared to give a new program in marketing, like at least six months, ideally longer, like you're, you're just kind of dead in the water anyway. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. 
It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Now, do you think you articulated um, really beautifully like briefing the team on expectations for these moonshots or for these long-term bets? Are there... Do you think this is something marketers could do a better job of and they would maybe get more buy-in for this type of stuff? Or do you think most of it came from the fact that you've done a really good job at carving out like this year's bet? Like they know you're going to drive revenue this year. So they're less worried. Like once you've, once you've like put up some wins, you kind of have permission to go do these moonshots. That's exactly it. That's exactly right. We know we, we tell finance and everybody else, this is what you can expect. We will produce this many SQLs, this much pipeline. And we're going to assist sales to help close it. And here's all the things we're going to do. We're not going to stop working on it. But here's all the stuff we're going to do to help with all of that and boost our win rates and whatnot. But then there's this like other piece that I, I don't even really come at it from like a permission asking standpoint. I just tell them these are the these are the big rocks we're trying to move. Here's how we're going to do it. Don't expect any money generating. This is not a money generating activity right now. I hope it is in the future, but hey, it may also fail. Um, like our community piece, for example, has in some to some degree failed. And mm. we are thinking about how to like revamp that or to cut it entirely or not, right? So there will be moonshots that will fail. And like we should be okay absorbing the the time and effort and money spent on those things. And you just you just carve that out separately. Of course, you need a degree of credibility within your org to be able to do those kinds of things um, and a degree of confidence. But that comes from saying, here's what I, I can guarantee we're going to make. And here's the stuff that could work and could not work, but I think it's worth the investment. Um, and I, I think we're lucky in, in some respect, because given that we're a design company, a lot of our, I guess like a lot of our bets are kind of around you know everything is like a double like we're double dipping in two areas right like we're able to show our chops of what's possible so like for example us investing in youtube allows a prospective customer to be like oh these guys can actually do amazing video i want to crack youtube i'm going to use super site right so we become our own case study in a lot of these cases which is which is just like we're just double dipping now that's just pure gravy um, right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no, this is awesome. I wanted to ask about so on the on the six month side, or like I guess the short to medium being like this year. So you've you're so you've got a pipeline goal for you know 2023, and you said you're reverse engineering. Um, you're doing like a work back schedule for okay, this is how many of this we need at this rate, whatever. When you're looking at those metrics, how I know you've said you've got it pretty refined right now. How much do you look to each metric? Like how much, um, I'm trying to think how to frame this question. How do you anticipate how, how, yeah, like, or how much could put, like, I know, so I'll give you an example. We we had Adam uh, Goyet on who talked about finding opportunities in your funnel. So like breaking down every stage. So taking the pipeline number, breaking down every stage and then saying, okay, like where are we historically low or where are we maybe like below what benchmarks say we could be, or like, where are we really high and let's double down there and things like that. So when you're looking, when you're reverse engineering and you're like, oh, like this is assuming this close rate at this, what, this, what, is there anything you're doing to kind of say, well, what if we like improve the close rate a little bit? Or what if we improved like conversion at this level? Like, or are you pretty much like, no, like over the years we found like, we'll go up or down a little bit, but within reason, this is it. And it's just a matter of like increasing SQLs at some point, like more, more to, I guess, how much are you focusing on meeting your pipeline by like top of funnel numbers versus yeah. like optimizing further down? Yeah, no, that's a, that's such a good Good question. That's the dance that we all do, right? At the start of the year, we we all do this dance. Listen, first of all, you have to have a really good understanding of all the levers, right? And it's like for someone, if the CEO came to me and said, hey, you guys need to help improve the win rate from 20, like our averages across the board for all segments is about 20%. He's like, this needs to be 30%. I'm going to be like dead, dead in the eyes. Like, no, absolutely not. That's not possible. That's not physically possible. Can we get it up a couple of percentage points? Yeah, we could probably do that, but it's not going to be 30%. So 
you know, at least my strategy has been to say everything should be on a path to improvement. There are going to be some things that are absolutely not going to improve. For example, deal size is not going to improve because there's some pricing and packaging decisions that we've made that won't allow us to do that for a variety of reasons. So that is not going to move. It is what it is. And then, you know, win rate's going to improve. The number of opportunities we bring to the table is going to improve. Our top of funnel leads are going to improve. So there's like, if you know all the levers, you kind of know where there's room and where there absolutely isn't room. And then you have like, you just account for the moonshots as a separate thing. So we knew that branded search could improve. We weren't sure, but we knew that that could improve. And we said, hey, if someone comes to branded search, even though we believe that the conversion probably be a bit better. We're just going to run with the standard website conversion and tack that on and be like, hey, this is a moonshot. Let's not depend on it, but we could get some extra lift here. Similarly, we said, wow, we don't really do a great win back program. Like when customers churn, hey, maybe the, the person that was you know in charge of that churn or, or made the call has moved on six months from them. So let's go back to those churn customers and bring try to bring them back, et cetera. We didn't have a defined way of doing that. That's an example of a program or a moonshot that again is pure gravy. You know, it's a lever. You It might work, it may not, but you don't bake that into your forecast because it could go either way. And that right. I just separate those two things out. Yeah, okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. What I'm I'm thinking on like behalf of a listener that uh, like one of the things Adam said was you'd be surprised. He's like, step number one I do is measure everything in the first place. He's like, you'd be amazed how many companies like don't know like the beginning to end like metrics of how they're performing at each stage. So I'm thinking from the perspective of like listeners that are like, okay, we're not there yet. We're not like, we don't have our like three proven channels like, you know, like you do um, and that can hit our pipeline number and then be doing these moonshot experiments for a year plus out. What will, how long did it take you to kind of like get a good sense of the combo of levers and like what the output could be? And what advice do you maybe have for people, for marketers, like they came into an organization, there's kind of nothing and they're trying to build it for the first time. Mm. Um, any like words of encouragement or like steps you'd recommend? Yeah, that's such a good question. I have friends in other orgs that are way, way, way bigger than us and have very complex go-to-markets and with like a lot of overlapping pieces. Um, I was just chatting with the chief growth officer at ClickUp the other day, and he was just saying they've got a product-led motion, they have a demand gen motion, but they have like a scale demand gen and an enterprise, which is like a sales-led motion. And then they have like lots of freemium customers that over time will become a paying customer. They have like five or you know, six different ways and they all kind of intertwine and overlap. That I I think is hard. Like that's complex, I I feel. And to like in a very like you could you could have a great data science team and maybe they can pull together a model that you know can help you understand all of that and how each like little metric could move and it could all like fit together. Um but I always feel like regardless of that type of modeling, if you can't visualize it in your brain, if you don't know roughly like, hey, these are like the three or four, I call them machines, maybe there's a better word, but if you if you don't know that like these are the three or four machines that, you know, and I if I don't understand what they are and what the convergence of them are, it's going to be hard to like actually make movement on each mm. of those and then go back to the team and be like, hey, it's working or hey, it's not working. Like you want to be able to do that on a monthly basis. But if, 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 you know, we, we always know every month we'd know if something's working or not working. You might not end the work on that or the experiment on it, but you roughly know if it's working or not. And I think complex orgs with complex go-to-markets, I think they have a harder time. So I don't have any advice for them. Maybe they have advice for me, Um, but for like, for like slightly more simpler, straightforward go-to-market models like ours, um, I would just say like starting with like, I'm trying to think actually, I literally remember in 20, the start of 2020, which was like, I had just completed like eight or nine months at SuperSide and we had just launched SuperSide four months before that. We were trying to plan for 2020 and I just built like a very simple Google spreadsheet that just like etched out the full funnel. I know not every buyer goes through this journey, like exactly how it is, but just etched out a very simple funnel. And we just like punched in all of the numbers and said, Hey, this is going to help us get to whatever it was like $20 million or whatever it was. Um, And 
we all just like looked around the room and was like, these are all like extremely doable numbers based on historicals, right? And we were like, yeah, they're like already lower than what we did like the last four months. So we just had a high degree of confidence that that would work. We would have to like really fuck it up for it to not work, right? Right. And that clarity is super helpful. If you can build your ideal um, kind of like, model that's entirely just based on the your your knowing your ICP obviously but then also like knowing um what the stages of awareness and and buying and consideration are and just having numbers against that that's really great and then you just come back to that model over and over like I literally just would pull up that google sheet like you know three times four times a month and be like how are we tracking oh great this this month uh our win rate is like spiked through the roof what is going on in there let me look under the hood is it like artificial spike? Like maybe we just didn't create the right opportunities. Maybe the sales team is only creating the good opportunities and not the bad ones, right? What's happening there? Is this predictable? Can I actually depend on this? So you just keep looking at like what your ideal was and what you thought you would do and then what's actually happening on the ground. And then you just like dig a little to figure out what's at, what's actually um, affecting those things. And sometimes you learn like the most remarkable things from it. Mm. Yeah. So like start simple with what you know and kind of like the ideal, if nothing changes, this can still work. And then you're layering on that. Um, I wanted to ask you when, if so if a listener has maybe one channel that's working really well for them and I'll I say channel, um, I know an, a, touch point. a good synonym is like program or yeah, machine yeah. or touch point. Um, so if there's one program or channel that's working really well, and they're trying to move to, you know, you've got three nice ones working, right? So they're trying to add on number two and number three, or maybe someone's got three and now they're looking to add the moonshot. What are things you look for in terms of, I know it's probably very dependent on the program itself or on the channel, but what are, what's some guidance you can give on things to look for? Um, like, I guess, you know, really open-ended walk me through the balance of like not cutting it off too early and giving it enough time to breathe and kind of learn from it and iterate on it. Like YouTube is a great example, right? Like you're probably iterating on different types of content and it just takes time to build up momentum and the algorithm probably rewards consistency and all these things. But what, what are you looking for in terms of like you, I know you listed the payback uh, expectations of each one is that factoring in. So how are you thinking about each channel needing to do something in order for it to make it into the fold of like, now it's become one of our six month bets. Like now we've added it to like the, we can count on it for revenue and it's no longer a moonshot. Yeah. That's the, the best question here because yeah, that, that process and the tolerance that every company has is probably different, but there are some, there are probably some things that could be applied to almost every company. Um, so I guess like just for clarity uh, in my head, and I don't know if everyone's the same way, I'd, I'd actually love your take on it is I, I bundle everything into two pieces. Like one is the pipes, which is what the true channels are. And the other is the fuel, which is like the offer or the meat on the bones. So um, an example could be Um, we did this amazing quiz around for video and it's like really geared towards video marketers. Um, And this quiz is like amazing conversion. And like, these people are like booking demos, like out of the wazoo, right? It's like very niche, whatever. And it's like a fun quiz. Like people are like, Ooh, cool. Like I'm, you know, tell me what personality type I am or whatever. Um, That's the offer. The quiz is only going to work if we can get it in front of enough people and if we can get in front of the right people, and that's where the pipe comes into play. Mm-hmm. So how do we get this quiz out? We have almost entirely concentrated on email as a channel. So there's a distinction between like thinking about what is a moonshot. So the it, it, not that this one little asset was a moonshot in itself, but I'm just using this for illustration. How would you, what is the narrative on it? Is it the quiz that worked or is it the email that worked or did they both work in unison? And I think that's where the magic is, right? You need to find offer channel fit or fuel pipe fit. Hmm. The fuel pipe fit is the magic combination. You could build something amazing and no one would see it, or you could build something shitty and too many people see it and then they, they're turned off, right? So it's, you kind of need to find what, what works for each channel. Um, so I think that's, 
that's like one one piece of advice I would give and not to give up too quickly. Like um like our quiz results could have been really bad. And maybe we would say, oh, kill it, this this content asset sucks. But it's like, no, we just distributed this through email. So maybe that medium sucks. Maybe there should actually be, maybe we should put some paid budget behind it. Maybe this is a whole thing. There's a Twitter thread around it or whatever, right? Like maybe there's a social play. Um, so I think like, just like knowing going in, like you're, you're experimenting with something, it may or may not work. Obviously time is one factor, but like really think about, is it, is the way that you've gotten it out in front of the people the, the right way? Um, is there other ways you could position it? Is there other ways you could get eyeballs on it? And that'll, you know, you, you want to think through that and maybe you, you go through it like one by one, like depending again on the appetite and the risk tolerance for the com- that the company has. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I love the, I, I love, like, I keep thinking about like the product market fit of like what you're saying, right? Like the, the fuel pipe fit, it's like the product market fit of that message. Um, one, one, or one thing I'm thinking of is, yeah, like there's, I think this is where marketers, where marketing leaders like really earn their pay because like the, the mat, like the, the tracking the data and the math and stuff, like tools help with that. There's a certain amount of like lift with that, but it's, it's fairly like mathematical. Like once you get the attribution in place, you're just looking at, at the numbers and like, you know, trying to make bets on it. I think what you're illustrating is really the heart of like, there's, there's a bit of like, I keep using the phrase in the show that I, I've heard it somewhere that I like, it's like art and algebra of there's this there's this blend of like I'll, like I'll give an example um that's really meta actually so the pod like this podcast when I took it over right metrics and chill the idea which seemed like at first glance it seems like really logical it's like let's take a different metric every episode and learn how guests move the needle on that metric mm. and that's really good for certain goals and for certain things. Right. But like when I thought about it, I was like, that doesn't build a listenership over time because Mm. what's going to happen is like, when you have a problem with your homepage conversion, you might come across it and listen once to that episode. Why would you come back the next week when it's around Mm. like organic traffic or MQLs? Mm. And you're like, we don't even track MQLs. Right. Right. And we want to talk to you. We want to talk to the marketing leaders. It's like, well, what do you need to do? You need ideas from other leaders to drive predictable growth. So like making that pivot, but that couldn't be done. Like podcasting is like YouTube. It's like you, you put in the reps, you have to like, it takes a long time to get even leading indicators of like what downloads will be and you like listen through and completion rates and things like that. So it's like, and even then it just takes time to realize like, oh, maybe like that pipe is really good for this type of message or like this type of fuel is really good for a different type of goal. Um, but like actually a better way to serve our goal is to slightly. So I just, I think about it more as like, I guess more as like product market fit. Like I wouldn't give up on a channel until you've tried two or three pivots. I think if you quit before like three pivots, you probably didn't play enough with like the angle or the hook or the approach or like, like you could try a podcast, but it's like, it could be literally as simple as like, maybe your thumbnail doesn't stand out or, and like your content, like the angle, the first 30 seconds doesn't hook anybody in. Um, And if you would just switch up the hook or the angle, it would make all the difference. Or like, you need to find a new distribution method for it. Or like, you need to go from guests, which everyone does to like doing a solo podcast or something. So I feel like it's a, it is a little bit akin to like product market fit. And I feel like if there's not, and I think the other thing I've heard, I've learned from guests on the show is be really specific, like come to an agreement on leading indicators early on. Mm. Because I think what happens is like you get down and like, of course there's not going to be pipelines. Like you start to launch YouTube and you're like, there's no pipeline. And it's like, well, now there's five opinions in the company on what constitute it working or not. So I think that's another thing I've learned from guests is like, can you come to an agreement with your team on like, okay, this will not drive revenue. If it does, it's just like icing on the cake. Instead, like what turned me on to this was, um, Oh, I can't remember who who came on to share this, but Refine Labs is doing a stage gate process now. And mm-hmm. I love the analogy to like R&D stage gate. And so what mm-hmm. they say is, okay, there's four stages to getting YouTube as like a program that is folded into the suite at Superside. 
Mm. Stage one, this is all we're looking for. If it meets this, it moves to stage two. If not, it gets cut off. So it might be like, can we get 5,000 views in the first three months? If not, we're cutting it off. I love that so much. If it meets it, we're moving on to the next one, but they predefine what it takes to move on to the next stage. So, right. Right. That's actually such a, yeah, that's a great idea to not, it's, it's almost like, um, you're like disciplining yourself to not put any more time and money into it. If you can't even do this first baby step, right. It's almost like that. It's like, can I get to this? Like, can I do this one baby step? And yes, we've proven it to ourselves. Great. Awesome. Now I'll take it to the next level and the next level. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we we agree to leading indicators, but um, it's not like staged in that way. You know, I also think it like depends on the bias of the leader. Like I would say like our team is generally quite experimental, but there's a few of us, myself included, that are like, like, I just love to go like all in on stuff, you know, and and I think I've earned that permission from our CEO because we've done well in so many other aspects. But yeah, I just go all in on stuff. Like if we feel like there's something there and like the data shows that is there and it's a trend, let's say across the globe. Um, yeah, like on YouTube, for example, I don't, I would say candidly that it hasn't been as much of a success as we were hoping it would be, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop it because I know it's there. I know we right. just need to crack a couple of things and it'll, it'll, it'll like turn on. Yeah. I think there, I think that's another aspect you're getting at of, of, testing the long-term bets is like, is it just a truism of the market? Like are designers or are are people who hire designers watching YouTube? Yes. Like now can SuperSide crack the right code of like answering the questions that they want, covering the content they want in a, in a way that is compelling enough to hold their attention. Like that's the meat, like that's the test. Right. But it's like, is your, is your audience there? Like, yeah, certainly. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I love that. I love that aspect as well. Um, well, yeah, this has been, this has been amazing. I feel like the, I love the way that you've laid this out of finding the sure thing and making that your short term, uh, bet for the year that is going to be tied to pipeline broken down in, in increments of six months, your long-term moonshots are not tied to pipeline. And those are held to different leading indicators and standards. And, one of the biggest takeaways I love that you said is like, without the moonshots, there's no like real future for long, long-term growth. Like, sure, you can run the playbook you're running for another year or so or whatever, but the market changes too much. Channels come and go like, you know, platforms like Facebook can restrict organic reach. And then a channel that's working won't work anymore. And so you're doing this, you're constantly doing this long-term work of, of identifying, um, yeah, these long-term bets. So I think the framework you've laid out here is awesome. Yeah. And if you can, I would say like bake them into your OKRs. Like we just did our Q2 OKRs a couple of weeks ago and we have actually baked in a big O around brand awareness and recall, which we've never historically had. They've all been like very MRR focused. Um, But now we've said, no, we're going to do this work and we're going to report on the leading indicators to the whole company um, and here's, here are the two things that we're looking at as a way, not saying this is the be all and end all, but again, it's like company-wide agreement and hopefully buy-in that, that this is like work that we absolutely need to do. And it's always nice when you get CEO backing too, right? Like today in the town hall, he just stood up and said, we need to go bigger. We need to be bolder. We need to take more risk. And like, that's like amazing for the marketing team to hear. Cause they're like, okay, everything we've decided is right. like approved. It's like, it's, it's like, you know, we're not just doing something out of left field that we don't have the backing for. Yeah. And I think there's stages to this, which I'm seeing a lot in your story. And, and as you lay it out is like, you know, you, marketing leaders have to come in and earn the right to do these bigger things by building the first one through three, you know, revenue driving channels that are going to hit the goals. Then you're doing the work of establishing kind of your company's benchmarks and the predictable levers that, you know, like we've tried to play with all these different things. And we know that like within a small range, we can only move homepage conversion this much, or, you know, like, uh, website to demo book this much or whatever it may be. Um, and so we've kind of got our system in place. We kind of know what our numbers are. We've maxed out, we've improved the stages of conversion as good as we can. 
We've got, you know, we kind of know our bets that for the next year or two could hit our pipeline goals. And now we've got like, that's the hard work of like years to then be able to like do these long-term bets. And that's the way I'm hearing it staged. Like I wouldn't think a first time marketer coming in like their first six months is going to get by and to be like, I'm going to go like, don't worry about revenue. Like I'm going to have something a year and a half from now. And the CEO being like, yeah, sure. Go for it. So yeah. On that note, actually, like I do, I do sometimes think back to like what the success, like what led to our success, like early on. Cause like, you know, we've only been at this game for four years and we're like a $50 million company. And, and like one of the things that was said to me very early, which actually blew my mind because I'd never heard anyone say that before and again, gave me permission to do some crazy shit. It's just like our CEO said to me, he was like, yeah, I'm I'm not even paraphrasing. I'm telling you what he said. He said, I was like really stressed out. We were getting close to launch date. And he was like, I don't care about revenue. I care about your rate of learning. Hmm. He, he said, whatever you do, learn really fast from it and then apply those learnings, which will lead to revenue, build that flywheel. But he was like, don't be obsessed with revenue. He's like, increase your rate of learning. And that'll tell us a lot, which will, you know, slowly lead to revenue. And it just like, it just kind of like changed how I thought about stuff, you know, um, where to, where to put my time and energy and, and what to obsess with. And um, also like tightening up that feedback loop to the rest of the teams, like what, what we were, were we, were we learning and how's that actually gonna impact the decisions we make downstream? Right. It's almost like a sigh of relief and like a bit of permission to like, it's okay to fail, but it's not okay not to learn something from the failure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That was profound for me. I don't think enough marketers get pulled that, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, it can be a a stressful role if you're not at the right, this is like what, you know, we, we talked about off mic, like Dave Gerhardt and others are blowing the trumpet for is like work for someone who gets marketing because if you don't like you can be held to these crazy standards and or like you're trying to like push a boulder up a hill because maybe like you have no say over the product and the product's you know fundamentally not good or like has a has a major problem or whatever or like this huge misalignment with sales is something mm-hmm. you know a lot of marketers uh, face and talk about so yeah I think I think there is like this added it seems like it's a recurring point in your story is having a team that supports you, that wants to see bigger risks being taken, that wants you to learn and having a psychological, like the the weight off your plate of having to drive, like have a magic bullet. Like, it's not like you're not trying to drive revenue, but you don't have the pressure of having to have like a magic bullet in Q1. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So exactly. Well, Amrita, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Super, super fun chatting with you. Um, where do you want people to kind of go follow you check it out? Obviously, if you need design help, you can go to uh, superside.com and check yes. them out. And um, where do you want people to follow you? Like is LinkedIn a good place? Twitter? Yeah, link- I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter active on both of them. So yeah, definitely find me same handle and Rita Mather. Um, and yeah, superside.com. If you're a fast growing team and you just have a ton of amazing campaigns that you're launching and testing, you need good creative to stand out. So holler at us for that. Uh, we're not, again, we're not for everyone. If you're Coca-Cola launching vitamin water in Brazil, we're not for you. But if you're like, um, you know, fast moving, nimble tech company, that's like trying to stand out. Yeah. Give us a shout. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.